Hello and welcome to this year's special Christmas episode of Somerset Stories, the podcast which explores the lives of the people who live, work and create in Somerset. Once again we've pushed the boat out and have an amazing selection of five guests from all corners of the county, each with their own unique perspective on the festive season. We're covering all elements of the Christmas celebration, from food and drink to music and decoration. So now's the time to put on the malt cider and listen to Yuletide Conversation with folk singer Cara Dillon, Bake Off legend Val Stones, expert glassblower Will Shakespeare, from Thatcher's Cider Eleanor Thatcher, and Jemima Marks from 100% Organic Kim Farm. Jemima, welcome to the Somerset Stories Christmas special. Hi, thank you for having me. For the benefit of listeners and the rest of the guests, would you mind introducing yourself, telling everyone a bit about you? Yeah, so my name is Jemima Marks. I grew up in Somerset and I live here now with my family. I work for Coombe Farm Organics. So we're an organic farm near Crewken and we produce organic pork, beef and lamb, uh, which we butcher ourselves in our organic butchery. And then we sell that online for delivery nationwide and also uh, click and collect for local customers as well. Wonderful. And what are you hoping for from Father Christmas this year? Uh, Well, I love to read, so I'm hoping for a brand new kind of big stack of books. And I've got my eye on Nigel Slater's new cookbook. So I just I just love his recipes. So got my eye on that one. We actually have the Christmas Chronicles book by Nigel Slater. And it Uh, does it dictates the run up to Christmas really, really well um, to the extent that we actually made our Christmas pudding on Stir Up Sunday, which was a first. We might get into that a little bit later. <laughs> that <was> um, impressive. <laughs> Jemima, are you, when it comes to Christmas shopping, are you a planner? Do you get all your stuff done in advance or are you a last minute dasher? Uh, I've always been a last minute dasher, but actually this year my little daughter, she's just turned two and she is so excited about Christmas this year. So we've definitely, everyone's got thinking about it a lot earlier. So She's um, every time she's so excited when she sees Farmer Christmas. That's what she calls him. Um, so, yeah, and also being a lot more planned this time with food because I know that I'm cooking. So I'm already kind of thinking about the menu. Uh, Farmer Christmas is is a great character. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's very apt for, for Somerset to have Farmer Christmas. Um, Jemima, thank you. We're going to get to know a little bit more about you later on. Um, but thank you for that. Val. Welcome to Somerset Stories. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. For our listeners who don't know who you are, would you mind just introducing yourself a little bit? I'm Val Stones, a retired head teacher who uh, decided to do something a little different and went on the Bake Off tent in 2016 and then went in on the Christmas Bake Off. So life has, has been full of baking and teaching. Wonderful. Val, it's an absolute pleasure to have you um, as part of our, our guests this evening. And I'm really looking forward to getting your tips on, on Christmas baking this year. When do you put up the tree in your house? The tree never goes up until the 18th of December. It, it, traditionally, it's my son's birthday. So he had his tree up and the house decked for his birthday. So it's the 18th, whatever day of the week that is? Yes, whatever day of the week it is. We don't put, but what I have is come uh, November the 1st, I put one small decoration up every week, just somewhere in the house as a countdown to Christmas. Very nice. You're obviously known for the baking side of Christmas food, but where do you stand on sprouts? 
do you know, I've got them standing outside already. <laughs> I was up at my I was up at my brother's farm shop in uh, Derby, literally over the weekend, and I bought a long stalk of sprouts. And my granddaughter today said, "What's that, Grandma?" I said, "They're sprouts." Oh, she said, "She um, she's not into sprouts yet. I wonder if she'll get into them." So I love them, but not many people do. Excellent. Well, Val, I look forward to hearing uh, all about the festive side of your your baking experience um, a little later on. Cara, welcome to our Christmas special episode. Thank you. That's very exciting. <laughs> it's lovely to have you uh, have you on. Again, it would be great just to to have a little bit of an introduction as to who you are. Okay, well, my name is Cara Dillon and I am a folk singer from the north of Ireland, um, from County Derry, from a very small one-horse town called Dungiven. And um, I've been living in Froome here in Somerset for nearly 20 years now. So, um, yeah, and I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Wonderful. Cara, what's your favourite Christmas cracker joke? Oh, my God. Do you know what? They all the jokes um, completely go over my head. They do anyway, generally. I can never remember them, but especially at Christmas, because I'm usually trying to make sure that the the children aren't like, you know, sort of falling out over who's pulling the cracker too hard or what's going on. So I, I can't help you with that one. Never could, never will ever be able to remember a Christmas joke. Okay, so an, another another little icebreaker for you. What's the strangest place that you've celebrated Christmas? Well, um, for me, the strangest place would have been the hospital in Bath, the RUH, um, uh, because my twin boys, who just turned 15 um, last week, um, they basically um, were born at 26 weeks, premature. And so on Christmas Day, we were there with the, the neonatal nurses and um, that was very surreal and it, it was a big journey um, that we were on at the time. So, um, yeah, they were our little Christmas miracles, to be honest. And I remember them being put into little Christmas stockings on Christmas Day to be weighed. They, they would weigh them every day. And um, it was it was a great moment because we were able to send the family pictures of the babies in these little stockings. They were only about three pound weight at the time. So, yeah, that was pretty weird. Um, yeah, very much, a, very much a Christmas miracle. Were they, so they were born before Christmas Day or on Christmas no, Day? No, they were born on the, um, the 17th of November. So they had a, you know, they were in the hospital for three months until their due date. So it was, um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock when they came that early. And um, I know twins are renowned for coming early, but that was definitely too soon. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was a Christmas I'll never forget. Cara, it's great to have you on. I'm looking forward to having a bit more of a chat uh, later. Next, we have Will. Will, tell us a bit about you. What's your name? Where'd you come from? <laughs> um, hi, I'm, I'm Will Shakespeare. Everyone knows me as Will Shakespeare. I'm a glassblower and I work from Langport now. I was in Taunton for many years and now I've moved to Langport. Tell me, Will, have you ever dressed up as Father Christmas? Uh, not knowingly. <laughs> I'm just wondering with any pictures. <laughs> I don't think they're on. <laughs> Could you see yourself doing it? Is it something that you'd be up for at some point? Um, no, although my brother and myself did spend quite a few Christmases, if anyone knows those blow-up costumes, 
uh, you know, as blow up turkeys or blow up whatever it was, we decided to do that year just to just to embarrass our children. I think really, but never Father Christmas. Ah. Yeah. Uh, well, what is your favourite piece of festive music? <laughs> my <laughs> my favourite piece of festive music. Oh my god. Um. Do you know, it's going to be mud, lonely this Christmas. There you go. Off the top of my head. Nice. It's a classic. Not sure it's nice, to be honest. <laughs> Actually, or I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas is my other favourite Christmas song. I don't think I know that one. I think it's... Oh, no, that's that actually is my favourite Christmas song. And I can remember one Christmas works party where I just played that on loop all night to annoy him. So I think that's probably my favourite one. Last but not least, we have Eleanor. Hello. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the Somerset Stories Christmas special. Thank you. You should get the drill now. So can you tell us a bit more about uh, yourself, please? Um, yeah, I'm Eleanor Thatcher, like you said, and I'm a fifth generation uh, cider maker um, at Thatcher Cider. So um, we're based in Sampford in Somerset and we've got 500 acres of orchard um, and all our ciders made here in Sampford. So I've kind of been working, um, making cider since quite young. <laughs> How are you preparing for Christmas this year? Well, Christmas doesn't start until we've got all our pruning and the orchards done. So that's kind of the number one priority. And then we start to think about Christmas. I mentioned earlier that this year we had made our Christmas pudding from scratch for the first time, but I know some people aren't fans of, you know, dried fruit and steamed puddings. Uh, how about you? I do like Christmas pudding, um, but I am very partial to a mince pie too. Um, we normally have them on Christmas Eve here. Jemima, we are going to start by talking about food. Thankfully, everyone on the podcast today has, has eaten this evening. So talking about food hopefully won't make everyone too, too upset about not eating. But when it comes to Christmas Day, are you the family cook? And how does, how does the day's cooking play out at home? Yeah, so I am uh, one of the family cooks. So usually either me and my mum will do it, we'll kind of swap um, oven space is always an issue. So even if I'm cooking the meat, she's probably going to bring around the potatoes, uh, get my sister to bring around the starters. So it's kind of it's a big family affair. We all do it together. Uh, this year I'm cooking a leg of lamb. So controversial. I'm not actually doing a turkey, um, but our, our leg of lamb from Coombe Farm this year won three gold stars at the Great Taste Awards. And I haven't actually tried it yet. So I think I, you know, I need to do it some service because um, we are so pleased, pleased with that award. So also my granddad makes the best sausage meat stuffing. He puts loads of pine nuts in there and apricots. So yeah, so it's a kind of, we're all getting it together, but I'm going to be the one that's coming out of my kitchen. Everyone's coming around to my house. So it's going to be chaos. It's quite a lot of pressure around, around being, you know, the, the centre cook for the day, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, and there's a lot of always a lot of pressure on me to like cook the meat perfectly because you know I work for a meat company that's meant to be my forte, so I've got a trusty thermometer to help me out with that as well. And outside of sort of the big main dish, yeah. food is is really key to the festive season. So, what are some of your favourites? Uh, I think for me, like aside from Christmas dinner, which is obviously the best, 
it's all about the party food you know when you kind of get together with lots of people and it's just about grazing you're not even sure how much you've eaten you've definitely got room for more um so you know whether that's kind of little canapes you know salami charcuterie olives those are the kind of things I love to eat at Christmas that you just kind of graze and nibble on and share with other people and for the Coombe Farm team what does preparation look like in the run-up to Christmas yeah so Christmas is our busiest time of year um, and for us kind of Christmas can start kind of weeks months years ahead because we're obviously we're rearing the animals um, and then also whenever we introduce new products so this year we did new recipe sausage meat stuffings or uh, stuffed turkey crowns that kind of thing because we're organic everything gets certified by the soil association so if we develop any new recipes we have to get those accredited and signed off kind of back in June July in the run-up to Christmas so we think about Christmas for a really long time um, but we're lucky because what we do at Coombe Farm is everything is frozen um, so we do this mainly to minimize waste and just use kind of nature's way of preserving food so it means that, you know, in September, we can get ready doing all the pigs and blankets. In October, we can get ready doing all of the stuffing. It does give us a bit more time to plan um, and kind of get all the food ready for everyone. But, you know, we're excited. It's the busiest time of year. We're all going to be working right up to Christmas Eve. But um, it's definitely a fun time to be at work. And Jemima, you said that you're having lamb at home this year. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, turkey is the traditional meat. Although, you know, previously you've been goose and, and other things sort of historically as well. Are you seeing people branch out into different sort of meats and, and things for the table on Christmas Day? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately Christmas is about special food. So turkey is obviously the most traditional bird. And I was reading yesterday that a lot of that popularity came from the 1950s. So after kind of um, all of the rationing that happened during the war, the fact that you could get this enormous bird and feed loads of people was really appealing to lots of people. But I think, like I was saying earlier, Christmas is more about just having a really special time. So what we're seeing this year is people buying duck or beef or lamb. You know, I've got a really lovely uh, rib of beef, um, which is a really, you know, big joint of beef and a really decadent choice for people. I think people ultimately just want a showstopper and I think they're starting to realise that to get a really good, you know, quality piece of meat, you need to make sure that those animals have been treated with care and compassion. You want it to be, you know, butchered with skill um, and come from a, a kind of sustainable farm. So this is when we see lots of new customers coming because you're properly considering like, oh, where am I going to get that piece of food? And then we just hope that they'll carry that habit on into the new year, thinking about where their food comes from. And so are you seeing a, an increase in that? this year or over the last couple of years in terms of people wanting to source their Christmas food more locally and more sustainably? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think because because you plan that meal so much more than any other meal during the year, you do want to get the best quality. You do think about where's it going to come from. Uh, and, you know, and we're so lucky in Somerset with all of the producers, you know, we're our farming county. Um, so we're really sport for choice here. So have there been any surprises in terms of top sellers this year? Yeah, so reflecting on 2021, our big sellers have been meat boxes. So this is where we've kind of curated a selection. So there's a chicken box, there is a taste of coon box, which has kind of got all of our best sellers of everything we rear on the farm. Um, we have a balancing box, which is 
essentially where you obviously sell all the prime cuts from a carcass, but it's all those kind of underrated or unusual cuts of meat, put that all together in a box. And I think organic food, um, you know, organic farming isn't cheap. Price is a barrier when you go to buy organic food. So what we do with our meat boxes is that there's a there's a discount built in. I think people find that really appealing um, to come and buy a meat box and try some new cuts of meat that they might not try before. Um, and also the best sellers that we've had yet this year have been things like offal and other hard to find pieces of meat. So pig cheeks, ox hearts, that kind of thing. We always try to work to a nose to tail butchery system. So making the most of the whole carcass, you know, to properly maximise the respect to the animal and offer more variety than you might see in the supermarket. Um, people seem to be really embracing these cuts and kind of digging out their grandparents' recipes for, um, you know, people used to be much more adventurous with the cuts of meat they eat. Um, so we're definitely seeing a resurgence in people being a bit more adventurous with that. So Jemima, um, I would love to know, because this year I've got my in-laws for Christmas, um, Nana Joy and Granddad Jeffrey, and Granddad loves to just fry everything up on <laughs> Boxing Day. And um, and sometimes I'm like, there must be something else people do with leftovers. So um, any any tips that you could share about that would be amazing. Yeah, so I think leftovers so, leftovers are so important at Christmas. And, you know, 270,000 tonnes of food waste is chucked away at Christmas, which is just totally shocking. And what I found so shocking about that is I think Christmas leftovers are the best. I mean, I don't think there's anything more delicious than cold roast beef. You know, so we've just put some uh, new recipes on our website for leftovers. So we've got a lovely cold roast beef uh, with seasonal beetroot. Beetroot is so lovely at this time of year. And then some fermented vegetables um, on a salad. And then in terms of what you do with the leftover Christmas dinner, um, I do fry it up. But what I like to do is kind of mash all the vegetables into a bit of a patty. And then if you fry that, you get a really nice kind of potato cake with all the veg inside. And then you just can't beat topping that with a fried egg. Always make sure that I've got loads of eggs in for Christmas because you can do everything with eggs and leftovers together. I love the fried egg Mm. on the top of all of that. I wouldn't have thought of doing that. So um, thank you. That's a good tip. (laughs) (laughs) So now that we've talked the sort of main meal, we're going to get on to maybe my favourite bit of Christmas food, which is the sweet stuff and the baking. So we're going to talk to Val about that. Val, the start of your journey to the Great British Bake Off, actually, it started around Christmas time, didn't it? It did, yes. What happened was we always go to Sheffield. We, we always go home for Christmas because although we've been down in Somerset nearly 40 years, we still have Christmas Day here, but then go up for the time in between Christmas and New Year and we visit family. And um, after a glass or two of red wine, my sister-in-law said, Val, have you thought about going on Bake Off? And so that's how what happened. I said, no, I can't do it. I came home and the um, last uh, entry date was the 10th of January. And I got my entry in by I think the 6th of January. And below me, I was teaching on the 10th of January, about to bring the children in from playtime. And the phone rang and it was the love production team saying, we'd like to interview for Bake Off. And I had to say, I'm really sorry, 
but I've got 32 children lined up outside. <laughs> Can I speak to you later? And that's how it started. After your sort of main season uh, appearance, you mentioned earlier that you went back into the, the tent for, for a festive special. What was that experience like, kind of going back into the Bake Off environment? It was a fabulous to be invited. The only thing was, when I got the email, I was in America at the time. And so I, I had a, a two week window to get all my recipes done and into them by, I think it was uh, July the 12th. And I was there with no baking equipment, none of the ingredients that I would normally have, devising my bake-off for the Christmas bake-off. But I managed it. <laughs> I, I went into Trader Joe's looking for sultanas and the manager came over and he said, you're Val from Bake Off, aren't you? He said, nobody else would ask for sultanas. <laughs> and he, he was an Englishman. Um, and literally, he helped me out. They're golden raisins in America. So, um, yes, it was wonderful being in the tent. It was, um, it was like going home. It's, it wasn't strange anymore. I knew the layout. I knew where things were. Um, the uh, technicians, the food technicians were the same group. The camera crew was the same. So there was a lot of banter and fun in the place. And... Uh, uh, at the time, I thought, I'm not going to win this, but I don't mind because I'm baking with friends and it doesn't matter that just being in the tent for a second time was a gift. Your early days of baking were inspired by your nana. What do you recall about Christmas with your family as a child? We, it was in the 1950s. We all lived together um, there in a three-bedroom house. My nana, two aunties, two uncles, a cousin, my mum and my dad and me. And uh, there were lots of things we had. One thing that I always remember is we actually roasted chestnuts open and open fire. And it, they were put on the shovel. And I can still smell them. Whenever I smell that scent, I think of my, uh, my Nana's living room. Um, she made the most wonderful trifle, which we loved. And... Uh, it was it was the homemade mince pies that I helped make when I was three years old and things like that. So, yes, it was my nana who started me baking. You mentioned the, the mince pies and, and a bunch of other things. There's lots of different elements to bake around Christmas. So mm -hmm. on top of the mince pies, we've got the pudding, the cake, gingerbread, a whole bunch of other pieces as well. When did you start becoming the one person who is responsible for all of that festive goodness? Well, it's interesting you say that because my mum had her fourth child, my sister Denise, when I was 15 and uh, literally mum was not very well and I took over running the house for 12 weeks and I did all the cooking, all the baking um, and, and I was already doing things at Christmas anyway and... Uh, one of my things I made, I was, I thought I was so sophisticated. I made petit fours, you know, the marzipan sweets and shaped them and used, used cloves, cloves to make the little stalks and the oranges and did all those kind of things. Um, I made fondant fancies too. Uh, and I was learning from Mary Berry because I had her cookery book. 
So I learned from Mary Berry. And um, I made, in those days, back in the, in the 60s, this would be 65, I made Black Forest Gatto. I thought I was so sophisticated because that's what you had when you went to a Bernie Inn as your dessert. So, yes, um, I made Yule Logs as well using a uh, Mary Berry Swiss roll recipe. And I always made chocolate truffles. I made them with little bits of cake and uh, brandy and rolled them in cocoa. And I, I just enjoyed doing it. I've always, my husband calls it faffing. And that's when I'm making things. <laughs> and he calls it faffing. Because I get in the kitchen, put some Christmas music on and just love to mess about. Did so when I was 15, still do. So Val, how long before Christmas are you thinking about the food? And when it comes to putting that menu together, I suppose, do you tend to have the same classics, the same things that people in your family ask for year after year? Or do you try and experiment a little bit? Mm. Um, because I've been a teacher all my life, I always started Christmas baking in the October half term. So I made my mincemeat, I made my Christmas puddings, um, I made all of those kind of things nice and early. But I've never ever stuck, apart from the mince pies, the gingerbread, um, Christmas pudding, like yourself, you did stir up someday. We always have homemade Christmas pudding. But I always like to try new things. I mean, in the fridge right now is a, a mincemeat cheesecake. Um, and I, I just love trying to put different things together to ring the changes. And then everybody thinks I'm a feeder and, and of course they have to have a little bit of that and a little bit of that. <laughs> and um, so uh, this, this year it's mincemeat cheesecake. In today's world of convenience where you can buy everything from a Yule log to a Stollen in the supermarket, what do you feel is the magic of making your own? And what might you say to someone who might be a little worried about their abilities when it comes to festive baking, who's not quite at Bake Off level? Um, I'm an amateur baker. <laughs> if you've watched Bake Off, I'm an amateur baker. I don't go in for the ultra, ultra special. Um, and I don't buy things. I make my own sausage rolls. I make my own, I make my own pork pies. I do all of those things because I enjoy doing it. And I, I know exactly what's going into them. I know what Jemima said, um, I like to source my things carefully and, and by making them myself, I know exactly what's going into them. So I don't buy convenience. Um, I love to buy good cheeses, though. Um, even though I can make cottage cheese, I buy good cheese. Um, what would I say? Um, start simply. Honestly, there are you've got cookbooks out there. There are so many wonderful people to follow. Um, start simply. Gingerbread's a good one. You can decorate it with your children. Um, they can make it themselves. You can make mincemeat early and make your mince pies. I've made some that look like the snowman this year. I made the mince pies and then topped them with um, fondant and made a snowman face on them. My granddaughter thinks they're wonderful. <laughs> so, yes, start easy. Um, and I love doing it by going in the kitchen and putting on some Christmas music and it gets you in the Christmas spirit. Hi Val. Hi there. Do you go write another book? You, have you got plans to write another book at the moment? 
it's written already. <laughs> when when we were in lockdown, you know, deep lockdown, um, and we couldn't go out, I um, I thought, hmm, I'm I'm going to write the next book, um, take the photographs, the whole lot, and um, it's kind of memoir. I, what I've done is I've gone through my years from childhood um, and the seasons. And so they're a little anecdotal, you know, like five, seven, five, seven hundred words and then two or three recipes. And the other thing is now I'm just saving up to uh, self-publish like I self-published my last one. Brilliant. Did you find it? I've got a lot of friends who found the lockdown really uncreative. They thought they should be really creative and really enthusiastic, mm -hmm. but they were. You were. I missed you, by the way, because we used to come into the glass blowing and watch. Yes, so I missed you while we were in lockdown. But literally, I I love writing. I love writing. I couldn't have stopped writing whether it was lockdown or not. And um, my granddaughter is two years old, and I I wrote a diary and still do every day. So um, she will have that when she's grown of all the new words of the things she did and said. So I was doing that. And then because I, I thought I'm not going to be around when they are grown. So I, this is why the second book came. I wanted to, to put it down so that they could read uh, uh, their, what their Nana's life was like. Um, so that's where the creativeness came. It, it just kind of, I would sit with nice music and, and write. Good. Well done. I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> you might be a proofreader for me. <laughs> bring, bring me in a copy next time you're passing. <laughs> yes. You know, we could perhaps email it and you can read it. But I know my sister's already, my sister's already read. Uh, I sent it away to my sister, the one that I'm 15 years older than. And there are things that I wrote that she didn't know. Um, because I, you know, people don't write things down, but I have. And she said, Do you know, I didn't know that. So it's already, already working. So we've got our food, sweet and savory. Um, so we now need to set the tone, bring in the atmosphere with some music. Uh, and for that, we're going to talk to Cara. Oh, <laughs> okay. Cara, you, you grew up in Northern Ireland. What are your memories of Christmas as a child there? Well, I'm the youngest of six in my family. And so um, it was, you know, very exciting, obviously, being the youngest. But there was always a great buzz around um, our house at Christmas. Um, on Christmas Eve, we all went to Midnight Mass and... Um, it, it's quite a big deal um, in the town, like everybody goes to Midnight Mass and um, you know the way like now I find sometimes my friends will say, oh, I might go to Midnight Mass and see what that's like or I might, you know, I don't know, we'll see how I get on. I might, I might go to the church and see what's happening, but it just wasn't an option to not go to Midnight Mass. Um, and so that that was the start of it all. And it was at midnight. It wasn't at nine o'clock in the evening, the way some of these um, <laughs> these services can take place. And after that finished, we would walk home and we were all allowed to open one gift. Each of us were allowed to open one present from under the tree. And my mother would have uh, brandy 
and my father would have a hot whiskey with cloves in it. So <clears throat> I can still smell the whole atmosphere, I suppose. It was just beautiful. And um, and then that was the start of it. And of course, on Christmas morning, um, because all my mother's sisters all had quite a lot of children as well. So um, some of the cousins would drop in and we'd all have a drink in in our kitchen. And um, mommy would have made a big pot of vegetable soup and she'd be feeding like whoever was coming in. And that would keep everyone going until we had our Christmas dinner. And I think it was mainly for the grown ups so that nobody got too drunk, you know, when they were drinking. So um, lots of good crack and um, music. There was always um, just as far as I can remember, I was just thinking the other day about this in the house at Christmas there was always the radio on in the background playing whatever Christmas songs was on. And I think I think it might have been because, you know, growing up in Northern Ireland, the news was a very big part of our life, um, especially in the 80s. That was when I was a child. And so, you know, even on Christmas Day, you wouldn't dare not have the news on because there was so much trouble happening all the time that you needed to know what was going on. And so... Um, there'd be bits of news um, interspersed with Christmas carols and stuff like that. So, you know, there's a lot of that going on. And um, and then, of course, the, the town that I'm from is um, it's full of um, great storytellers and musicians, singers. And so there would always be over the Christmas holidays sessions in the local pub where people would be visiting, different musicians would be visiting houses and they'd all you get a call saying oh such and such is in town and they've got their fiddle and there's a banjo and can you make it round to the back room of the pub so um yeah just really good times um lots of family lots of friends music and um food and you've been performing from uh, quite a young age as well did that include things like carol concerts and nativity plays and getting involved from a uh, from when you were a child i suppose yes um you know like in, in some respects, uh, a bit like it is here, you know, there was the primary school nativity plays that like my children would be taking part in here in Somerset and and also different plays. I, I suppose there's there was quite a lot of emphasis on telling stories and still is where I'm from. Um, everyone's very proud of their roots and their culture. And so we were taught lots of songs in the Irish language, lots of old carols which I've gone on to to sing myself around this time of the year I've recorded a couple of those songs um, one of them is called Rug Mira Mac the Year which means Mary bore the son of God so that's that's one I remember learning when I was a little girl Do you have a favourite Christmas song? I'm, I love Christmas so much that it's it's so hard to choose but I suppose the one for me is the Wexford Carol uh, when I hear that song I just think it just it gives me the, you know, the hair standing on the back of my neck and goose pimples. I think it's really beautiful. And so I, I think certainly, you know, maybe maybe not so much um, uh, back home in Ireland, but for me, I feel like there was a period where folk music wasn't as mainstream around Christmas as it is now. Mm. Why do you think that's changed? Well, I, do you know what? It might be because of the John Lewis ad, you know, if you think about it, um, everybody, everybody was playing like, you know, Jingle Bells and Mariah Carey and all that stuff. And then suddenly John Lewis 
have been really endorsing all these um, young sort of folk singers with guitars and um, it was bringing it right into her home and it became really trendy and really cool and actually I think a big breath of fresh air from the big, uh, you know, shiny, bright Christmas songs that we all hear when we're out shopping and um, and it became it became the new thing, which I think is lovely. Yeah, I think it's certainly, it's a little bit more relaxed than, you know, listening to Noddy Holder shout it's Christmas yeah. um, eight times during during Christmas Day, just to have things a little bit more, you know, something in the background that you can, you can listen to and, and not yeah. not sort of get pumped up by it, if that but makes I, sense. But I think as well, you know, it's like what um, Jemima was saying about food, you know, music and um, people are getting more educated about music. They're not just happy to just buy the same songs every year. They want to they want to explore what's out there and they want to hear good music as well, not just whatever they're being fed. So, um, you know, they're they're really going down that road of um, exploring new artists and um, and good quality, good, you know, proper good quality music. So um, I think we're living in a time where people have got more time to think about what it is they really like and we're all thinking a bit more for ourselves. And so a couple of years ago, you released your Christmas album or winter album, Upon a Winter's Night. Uh, tell me about how you decided what you were going to record for it. So I wanted to, um, I really wanted to release an album. Um, I think it was because my children were growing up um, listening to all those songs we've just been talking about that we are all fed when you're writing about shopping. And it's great and, you know, we all need to hear that too to get a bit excited. But I just kept thinking there was a bit of the reverence of Christmas was being lost and some of the greatest um, uh, songs that I grew up listening to at Christmas, I was really worried that they were just going to get disappear and that I, I felt I wanted to record this album for my children, a bit like Val passing on her um, skills to her grandchildren, you know. Um, I just thought they need to hear this and they need to know that there's a little bit more to Christmas than just, you know, going out and going shopping all the time and you know there there has to be some pause for thought and um and it's not cheesy you know it doesn't have to be all bells and whistles I suppose um and so um and that's that's where the inspiration came for it so I just set about um thinking of the songs that really meant something to me and that I really wanted to share with with people who came out to see me um do my own regular concerts and um do you know, it's become such a tradition now. I keep meeting people who say, oh, we've got our, you know, we've got our tickets booked and, you know, we're bringing more family members. It's definitely something I hope I'm able to say I'm doing another 10 years time, you know. And so on the album, you covered uh, 2000 Miles by Pretenders and Joni Mitchell's uh, classic River. Mm -hmm. What's your approach to adding something to songs that are really, really classics. Well, I suppose, you know, I never really have ever sat down and said, I'm going to do something this way or that way. I think, you know, when a song jumps out for me, it's because, you know, I have a connection with it and I just want to sing it. And, you know, I'm a folk singer at heart. And so whatever it is I sing, it's going to come across in that um, style or genre of music. It's going to sound folky. Um, you know, I'm not 
I'm not someone who can sing baby <laughs> not with the accent as well, but um, it's just not really my style. And so um, when I when I wanted to sing the Pretender song, um, you know, myself and my husband Sam sat down to work it out and it um, it just sounded so beautiful, just stripped back with the guitar and vocals and a bit of fiddle on it. And so that's how we approach everything that we do. It's just what we do. It's just who we are. And hopefully, you know, it comes across in a good in a good way. Hi, Cara. Hi, Eleanor. What would your recommendations be for a um, Christmas playlist for folk songs? Well, uh, my first one at the top of the list would be the Chieftains, uh, the Irish band. They're legendary and they did a Christmas album where they had lots of guests um, singing the songs with them. And they had everyone from Marianne Faithful to Emmy Lou Harris and Van Morrison. And so that's that's something really different. Um, and then I love the Blind Boys of Alabama. Their Christmas album is incredible. Um, I'm a huge fan of the McGarrigals, um, the sisters who are Canadian and uh, their Christmas albums are just full of magic. Um, if you put them on, you're just transposed into a, a different, transported even into a different world of just um, their harmonies. And I suppose maybe because they're sisters sharing that sibling um, vocal together. It's really special. So they'd be my top three. Thank you. Well, I have to work on my Christmas playlist. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cara. Uh, Will. Hi. How are you doing? Doing all right. Thank you. Excellent. So um, we're going to talk about baubles. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> so the act of putting up the Christmas tree and decorating it is a huge part of the sort of ritual of Christmas. Do you remember getting involved in, in that decoration as a child? Do you know, I, I've been thinking about this and, and I don't remember it. I, it's really odd. I can remember the Christmas tree being there. I could tell you exactly what room it was in and exactly you know, how it looked. But, but my parents are quite elderly, so it's very formal. So, so it, it, I mean, it's very different now where, where you know, your Christmas trees are full of different, different ornaments and different this and different that. I mean, you know, the box came out with the traditional Christmas ornaments they'd had for years and years, and you couldn't mess around because they were so fragile. You know, and every, of course, every year you broke one, and that was trouble. <laughs> yeah, so I, I can't remember that as being a, an important part of Christmas, if that makes sense. That's really interesting. And, and one of the things that I was going to ask is, is that sort of shift from decorations being very formal, very formulaic, you know, it, there were only certain colours, there were only certain shapes and really quite limited in, in range. But actually, these days you can hang pretty much anything on a tree. Are you, are you a fan of that kind of unusual style? Oh, yeah. I don't like the traditional bit of it at all. I, I quite like the argument in our family about whether we have the, the, the snowman made out of a loo roll and cotton wool that my daughter made at school or whatever my son made at school and, and which one's trying to get, I mean, they went off, they started off trying to get their decoration on top of the tree and now they try and get their decoration in the box hidden because they are fairly ghastly. <laughs> yeah. But I quite like the fact you hang on, it's your family stuff, you know, it, I think, um, I think it's a very hard transition from when your Christmas is all about your family, your parents, and you're the child, and suddenly you have children yourself, and trying to evolve your own Christmas traditions, your own stuff that's on the tree. So 
I, I, I do quite like, I like it every year, you know, and my daughter's the one now decorates the tree and out comes all this stuff that you, you've managed to forget until next year. <laughs> you see what I mean? Go, oh, lovely. You know, let's put that on. It's really interesting that for you to have had that experience growing up with the formality of it now to kind of almost pull a complete 180 so that around your family, it is more of a sort of fun experience. I mean, when I look back, you know, I can remember, I'm sure, I'm sure we can all remember growing up the, the struggle of the Christmas, tr the Christmas tree lights every year. Never used to work, you know, and then going around trying to tighten all the bulbs up to try to try and make the circuits work. We can all remember that. And it, and it was quite sort of fraught about whether you'd have any lights, whereas these days, you know, all that, all that side of things is, is a lot easier. And I, I think I do quite like the fact that, you know, you drive around now and there's all these lights in the gardens and on people's houses and that never used to happen so I, I do quite enjoy that I quite enjoy the you know you drive through the little villages and you see who's made the real effort with their Christmas trees and, and with their lights in, the, in their trees in the gardens I think that's lovely I do enjoy that bit of it not too much okay. not not National Lampoon style well no I think I, I, I drove past a house two weeks ago that had their Christmas lights outside already and I thought no that's too early that's not on. well what inspired you to get into glass blowing okay well i started doing pottery at school and i went off to college to do pottery and they had a glass department and um i was just awestruck from the first moment of trying to blow glass i thought this material is is, is just the best and I, I still sort of have that opinion although it does really annoy me most of the time and why did you start making baubles decorations uh, cheap Christmas presents for the family. The answer to that one. <laughs> most of these things, most of the things I make start off with you sort of making them to give away almost. There's a bigger sort of influence, you know, that I can't remember the exact point it started, right? But I know that my wife's mother used to, you know, bring out all these absolutely awful Christmas baubles I've made over the years and hang them on the, the banisters and you just go, oh no, uh, you know, and you just start making these things to give people. And then other people say, can I have one? And so you then start making them for sale. So everything is obviously made by hand. How long does it take to make a single bauble? Now, that depends on the bauble. It depends on how many shredded we are home in the morning. But it can take anything between two minutes and ten minutes. Depending on how many people are helping you. Um, and depending on, on the decoration, how complicated they are, etc. It would take you a lot longer. <laughs> I would imagine so. <laughs> Probably all year. Yeah, maybe. How many do you make each year now? It, it depends. We're actually making less than we were because I'm getting older and I don't want to carry on making as many as we were. So it could be between five and 10,000. It really depends on, on it. Well, without, without getting too, too sort of deep about it, I mean, the pandemic is rather, rather sort of messed up knowing what's going to sell or, or when it's going to sell. So I don't want to have cupboards full of baubles um, because we make lots and lots of different things. Uh, and um, baubles generally, they do sell more at Christmas. So, so you don't want to spend all year making stuff and then suddenly we get locked down, which we did last year, and you go, great. You know, <laughs> I've now got a cupboard full of baubles and no one's going to buy them. So, so... I think the pandemic has altered how many we're going to, how many we're making, and also 
I think things change. I mean, I think you know, we've touched on it already tonight, is that people want more quality than quantity. So, so we're making much, much nicer baubles, much less standard things, more, more gravitas, more serious, you know, more special, maybe. And in terms of the designs, you, you mentioned there's some that are, you know, quite intricate, some, some not so much. Where do you get your inspiration from? Well, there's, there's two levels of inspiration. There's one level is just what looks attractive. And then other levels. So we now make special balls, which so we have various ranges. Um, so there's a pebble range that are based on pebbles. There's coast ranges that are based on, on color banding on, on you know, the seashore. And then uh, our Christmas ball this year is, is based on the most the most beautiful sunsets we've been having over the last year or two. Um, you know, you could look out, and I can't remember the sunset, but sunsets ever being so amazing with the oranges and the pinks and the blues. So we did a range based on that this year and our Christmas bauble is, is based on that this year. Um, so they're becoming much more a little bit of art as against a bit of craft. So there's definitely a, a shift in what we're making. I have, like, like many other listeners, I have children who are quite young. I also have a dog who is quite enthusiastic. And so the idea of having one of your very precious, very um, beautifully decorated baubles hanging quite precariously on my tree um, would I think it would turn me into your parents um, in in terms of the the level of anxiety about breaking it? What would you recommend for someone in my position? Uh, train your children and dog more. I think. <laughs> you need to. Um, uh, my balls are not that fragile because I had a real I have a real problem with things breaking that shouldn't break. So so they're made they're quite robust, and people hang them outside in trees. Hang them higher if your dog's quite small or your children are quite. Um, I don't, they're not that fragile. They don't break that easily. And I have a, I have a, you know, if things are nice, it doesn't matter that they get broken. It matters that you've had the enjoyment out of them. So they shouldn't be put away or hidden because they might get broken. You know, just deal with it. Buy another one. That's my general aim. <laughs> but but the, it's, it's no good having nice things and then being too frightened to enjoy them. And, and also, I mean, this sounds a little bit judgmental, but actually it doesn't matter if your children break them at all. They're not that important. They're just a glass bauble. You know, if they break, great. Just make sure they don't step on them afterwards. That's true. You, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think life's that important. Buy two and put one in the box. <laughs> Hi, Will. Apart from baubles, what else can we find in your workshop? Well, we make lots and lots of things. So we make, we make um, light shades now. We, we do a really nice range of light shades that are going really well. We make lots and lots of drinking glasses now. We, um, uh, we've moved away from making a more sort of traditional studio glass ranges of vases and bowls and, and that sort of thing and gone into much more you know, form and function because you know, life has changed over the last over the last few years, and so we started making glasses mainly because I broke my favourite cider glass one day, which was a bit of a disaster. And my new assistant, who, who's wonderful, had been banging on about making glasses, so we decided that I had to make myself a new cider glass. And so we end up making loads of glasses, and they've been selling really, really well because actually. You know, having a nice glass to drink out of is quite important, and um, it's it's a very nice 
it's a good gift you know it's a practical gift because you can use it and you can enjoy it and it's special so that so, so there's lots of things like that you can find a workshop you see you're drinking out of a glass now and i could argue you know <laughs> you should come and get one of mine yeah i will <laughs> i will there's there's something for everyone i i've always really believed that that um that you make something that that is worth the amount, the pleasure that you get out of it. It's worth the price it is. The same as like, talking about buying a good a good joint of meat. Well, it's worth it. You know, it, it's about it's about value for money. So you know, if you want if you want something something that's going to pleasure, you've got to pay for it. And whether that's a bowl or a vase or a glass or a paperweight or, or whatever it is, a light shade, you know. It's got it's got to be good value for money. So you so you can hopefully buy huge range of, of sort of product and price values. Something for everyone. That's a really neat segue into our final guest, Eleanor. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about cider. Uh, so we've got our glasses. We just need something to put in them. Eleanor, in Somerset, in a family where your life revolves around apples, how how do you feel connected? with the seasons and what does winter mean to you oh we definitely feel so connected to the seasons it kind of dictates our year and um and our apples and our cider as well um so in winter it's um when the trees go to sleep um, and they go to their dormant period um and this time's really important it's because where they're conserving all the energy ready for their new growth in the spring um where we get our beautiful blossom um, which I love. It's probably one of my favourite times of year um, with all the bees buzzing around the orchards. Um, and then we get harvest, which we've actually just finished um, harvesting all our apples. Um, and then in January, we have our wassail, which is about waking up the trees again. Yes, which we're going to talk a little bit about in a minute. You're the fifth generation of cider makers in your family. So with that heritage, there must be quite a lot of family tradition around Christmas. Uh, yeah, definitely there is. Um, we always have um, mince pies on Christmas Eve and then kind of a newer tradition in our family is we um, go to a carol service in our local church um, and then we go to the pub for a drink um, all on Christmas Eve and then again on Christmas Day. So <laughs> it's all very centred around the pub, um, but it's really nice because we get to kind of meet everyone in our village on Christmas Day and it's actually a really nice morning. For a lot of people around the country, the traditional drink at Christmas is mulled wine, but all of those people are wrong, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I think mulled cider in Somerset is um, definitely, I, I want to say it's bigger than mulled wine. Um, I think just we've been making cider in Somerset for years and hundreds of years and it's quite a tradition it's kind of apples and orchards are kind of dotted all across Somerset and they're quite a large part of our county I think therefore mulled cider at Christmas is definitely a must and um, I love to do mine with a bit of um, cheddar valley um, and heat it up in a saucepan um, put in some cinnamon, um, oranges, lemons, and it makes a really nice mulled cider. What can you tell me about wassail? So my, for us at our wassail, we have um, a mulled cider, um, which would be our still um, traditional cider, 
um, with all the spices, oranges um, in it. And um, it really warms you through. And you can, if you're feeling brave, you can add a bit of rum into it too. And that um, really warms you up. <laughs> so what are the plans for this year's wassailing at Myrtle Farm? So we'll have a wassail here at Myrtle Farm this year, like every year. Um, and um, it involves kind of singing. So we have a wassail song that we will sing. Um, I won't sing it. <laughs> um, but we then have to walk around the tree um, and make lots of noise. Um, and this is about waking the tree up. Um, we'll hang toast in the trees. We'll pour, we'll then pour cider around the roots of the trees. And then we'll fire shotguns into the air. Um, to kind of ward off the evil spirits um so yeah that's what we do um here and that's done in january right yeah so we do that in january so it's kind of it extends the festive season a bit for us because it's a really exciting um time of year and it, it dictates the harvest for the it's about kind of warding off evil spirits so we get a good harvest that year one of the things that i love about christmas is getting out the cheese board um, and the chutneys that go along with that. So what would your pairing recommendation be? So I would recommend our um, vintage cider, um, which is kind of um, a full-bodied cider, um, and it goes perfectly with your cheddar, um, cheddar, stilton, brie, whatever you like. Um, and I think it's a, a really nice, nice pairing. It's quite a strong one as well. Yeah, it's it? 7.4%. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Eleanor, I have a question, please. I, I'm frequently the driver around Christmas. Can you tell me what I could drink that would be non-alcoholic? Something for the driver. So we've got uh, Zero, so Thatcher Zero, which is a alcohol-free cider. Um, and it's really nice on its own, um, but you can have a cocktail called Winter Night um, where you get some of our Thatcher Zero, put in a teaspoon of marmalade, bay leaves, cloves, an orange wheel, cinnamon and star anise, and then you make a really nice cocktail. Um, if you want to kind of <laughs> keep up with everyone else and that are having more cider. So, yeah, it's a really great alternative. Sounds delicious, Eleanor. I will have to try it. Yeah. So just before we wrap up then, what are some of people's favourite Somerset traditions that you would normally take part in? Oh, we do um, a Christmas uh, shopping night in our local um, village and they close all the roads. Um, and the primary school comes out and sings carols and then all the shops open in the evening and we have mince pies and it's a really nice evening. Same here, Eleanor. We, we have uh, in Somerton, we have a lovely get together where the town is open. People can dress if they wish and, and we have reindeer visiting. So there's lots of things. And our streets are beautifully lit up. So I'm going to be taking my granddaughter out on that night. Fantastic. One other question is around presents. So how many people are first thing presents and how many are, let's wait until at some point later in the day, whether that be lunch or after church or after breakfast? Oh yeah, so we're definitely first thing presents. 
So yeah, as soon as we wake up, although this year, because yeah, because my little girl's now two, it's the first time that I'm doing her stocking. So she's waking us up about 6am every day at the moment. So I'm expecting another very early start. Our Christmas morning is, starts a bit later because the children have grown up. But I do have a two-year-old granddaughter and I am her carer. And yes, I am awake at six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sympathise. Um, but we, we have a game, I don't know about you folks, who will open the last present. Mm. And, and it's always the sneaky one that you keep, you know, to see who can, who can make it last the longest. Cara, what about your family? Well, um, so my twin boys are 15 now and I have a daughter who is has just turned 11. So um, there's a lot of fussing around in the morning. Usually they um, come down and bring their stockings up to the room and um, we get an extra hour. And even though the boys are 15, I, I, they still are getting up at six in the morning to see what the crack is. But um, after that, we just sit around and have a really slow burn kind of present opening session and um, it's just so beautiful and um, and then we all get dressed and go down to the three swans in Froome who have started this tradition where they hand out um, glasses of Prosecco to anyone who happens to go through the door. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell everybody that but there you go. <laughs> if you're a bit bored on Christmas morning. It's, it's going to be very busy this year. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely, <laughs> generous um you know, tradition they've started there. So it's just lovely. One of the things that uh, a lot of a lot of you guys actually talked about when when we were going through some of the questions was around being a little bit greener and more sustainable this year. Has anyone found any great tips, any hacks or, or just thoughts as to how we might do that a little bit better this year? Something I'm doing this year is that I'm going to wrap all of my presents in secondhand fabric. So if you go to a charity shop, you could buy an old curtain, a bread spread, you know, that's still beautiful material. And if you use that to wrap your presents, um, they look really cool. You can just tie them up with ribbon and it means you don't need any tape. Um, it's obviously less paper waste and then you're reusing something as well. Good idea. Hmm. My family have decided now for quite a few years that we only ever buy each other one present. So, so. I'm sure everyone does secret Santas now. And I think that's a really nice thing to do is actually makes you think. So we, we have rules that, you know, it has to be something you're going to do or something the whole family is going to do as a game or, uh, uh, you know, sing a song or, or whatever. It is, and someone has to take the lead. So the whole family tries not to spend any money or, or have any wastage on, on Christmas Day. And that's something that we're trying very hard now that, that, Although it's against the, 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 the people wanting Christmas to last a long time, it's quite nice that it all has to be done on the day. And it, it could be silly, like, you know, uh, having a, a game of crazy golf that you set up in the house or, you know, which, which does tend to get a little bit messy or, or building something out of food that you then have to eat. But all very silly things and, and very much trying to use your, your, your thinking to, to make it a nice time rather than just going out and spending money on, on something. So, so try, try and make it very sustainable in that way. I think that's, I think that's quite important. Around the room then, what would be your one Christmas film recommendation? Uh, let's start with Eleanor. Oh, it's going to be Love Actually. Because? I just love the, the bit in the airport. That's just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that always makes me feel Christmassy. 
Jemima? Uh, so mine's Nativity. I just think it's so funny. And I think we've all been in one of those plays playing the third shepherd. And yeah, it's good. Uh, Mary Poppins, always top of the list. Um, it's just something I watched as a child and I absolutely love all the songs in it and the whole the message behind it. And, you know, that one clip with Feed the Birds, it's just it's a tearjerker. <laughs> Every time that scene comes on, I'm just like weeping. So, yep. I do like those sort of films that are on at Christmas, but aren't Christmas films mm. like Mary Poppins and also <laughs> the Indiana Jones films as well. They're always they always make you feel like it's Christmas, but it's they're not set at Christmas. Val, have we st- still got you? I, it's got to be. I can't I can't choose one. It's Polar Express and Elf. Both excellent choices. <laughs> Excellent choices. I'm a, I'm a, I'm just a big grown-up baby, really. I think we're coming to the end of our time then. So, just by way of wrapping up, what would be your Christmas message to the people of Somerset? And we'll start with Val. I would love everybody to be able to hug each other this Christmas rather than last Christmas, and um, I wish everybody health, happiness, and prosperity. Thank you, Eleanor. I want to wish everyone across Somerset a amazing Christmas and hope that they get to spend time with all their family and friends. Jemima. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Um, So I just want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Feeling very grateful this year that we're able to have a more normal Christmas. Um, So just hold on to your loved ones, give them a squeeze and I hope you enjoy some really nice food from our great county. Will? Yeah, I think think it's actually we'll be able to hold Give everyone a, a hug this Christmas. I think that's very nice. Oh, and remember, a bauble is for life, not for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, Cara. I just want to wish everyone throughout Somerset peace, love and blessings um, this Christmas and to not forget to be kind for the rest of the year and listen to your friends and your neighbours. And um, I think that's the one thing that 2020, you know, in, amidst all the the heartache and the hardship, I think we saw a really beautiful side to people. And um, I just wish that to continue. And um, yeah, and of course, to stick on a Cara Dillon album when you're cooking your your dinner. (laughs) So to all of you, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for for sharing your stories, for sharing your expertise. It's been wonderful talking to you and getting in the festive mood. Um, And I wish you all the very merriest of Christmases. And you. Thank you. So to our guests, listeners, and everyone throughout Somerset, a very Merry Christmas. Playing us out is Cara Dillon, with her recording of 2,000 Miles, available on the album Upon a Winter's Night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Somerset Stories. If you liked it, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can reach us on social media at Somerset Stories, or email hello at somersetstories.com.